Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Daily Anime Podcast. I can't remember if I've talked about this or not, but I did sort of come to this sort of strange conclusion that time, for me as the producer and creator of the show, is like way different from like a listener. Well, at least like a listener who like discovers the show. And I suppose... I suppose, like, I thought about that when I was thinking about other anime podcasts to go on hilariously lengthy hiatuses and then come back all of a sudden out of nowhere to post an episode once a month or so. I was the sort of thing as, like, yeah, like, for me, I've been doing this podcasting thing for however many years, yada, 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 and, like, for a listener who might discover my show, they might burn through it and, like, five days and just be like where's the next episode coming out and i feel like that's a at least fairly common thing for like the anime world order podcast (laughs) but uh i should probably stop comparing myself to those bozos over there but uh yeah that's just sort of just something i'd notice it's like oh okay your sense of time and my sense of time in relation to the production and consumption of this product is pretty different. It's pretty different. Even though it's a little late, I actually sort of want to comment on the whole Avril Lavigne, Hello Kitty song and music video controversy. And the reason being is because I made a post on Twitter in response to somebody that was just like, something along the lines of, Avril Lavigne's video is hella bougie white girl shit, her whiteness is showing, something along the lines of that. And I realized that I had planned to explain myself but never actually got around to getting my headset on and recording an episode so I figured why the hell not since I'm coming back I guess I could just come in and talk about my thoughts a little bit before I want to talk about the anime of today that is Akagi but uh yeah and I say this uh, because I want to talk about this because I think that my criticism is a little different from everyone else's. I mean, I don't think it's different. I just think I'm willing to say something that all the blogs and all the Facebook like um, status updates. Yeah, that's what you call it. Status updates and all the Twitter shit and all that stuff that goes down is that everyone quickly jumps to the terms like cultural appropriation etc etc when the images that we see of Japan within this video are automatically commercialized images we're not really seeing anything that's like particularly sacred like she's not like doing like a sado tea ceremony or anything like that we see the commercial and we see the pop imagery and I don't necessarily think that that um, necessarily makes it less problematic on the whole but that's just sort of a particular thought that I had but I think deeper than that thought I want to refer to my earlier comment is that this is just Hella bougie white girl shit. Like, that's just 
keeping it honest. Avril Lavigne's whiteness is showing. Um, and how she can just sort of take these images and dance along to them while essentially sapping away from, I guess, what we identify as Japanese culture. And I find that the relationship that Avril Lavigne has to the Japanese people on screen, the Japanese environment, and the products is actually a sort of vampiric uh, relationship in that she gets to enact her sort of fantasies um, and her sort of agency and joy while the background is mostly just static. Girls just sort of stand there, the people just sort of stand there. They're going through the motions whereby she consumes and is made alive by all of this notion of Japan. And she can say things like kawaii and all that stuff. And, like, I think that's a little bit more insidious, or maybe not necessarily more insidious. But I think that's more the work towards getting, like, why this is so problematic. And why this hell of bougie white girl shit is fucked up. And I guess on another note, why I'm inter I mean, I guess to complete my thought, I need to complete my thoughts. It's just like, because what we're not seeing is, um, we're not seeing with this video, and I guess what we're not seeing in all these other criticisms is like all these other criticisms focus on the image of Japan and the image of Japanese people. But I think that there's far more to say about the image of Avril Lavigne and the image of whiteness. And that's not just merely racism proper, I guess racism as in the hatred of Japanese people or um, I guess the erasure of Japanese agency to speak for itself in this sort of subaltern, but rather, more appropriately, it's just like, oh, okay, this is kind of creepy. <laughs> can't I can't trust this lady. <laughs> and it's all just Japanophilia. And it's creepy, and I don't like it. And it gives me bad vibes. And I think what's sort of interesting to me is the sort of criticism of, like, the fetishism? Because, I mean, like, the lyrics are fairly suggestive, like, come, come, hello, kitty, but... I don't know. I don't necessarily... I think I can see why some people will complain about it. Um, I'm not... I'm actually sort of interested in thinking of Japan as a sort of fetish. Because, I mean, that's oftentimes what we as anime fans will consume it as. And and I think that probably just speaks more towards the idea of Japanophilia in general. Um, but I don't know. My thoughts are just like loose comments, not an actual coherent thought. It's like, oh, okay, I think that's actually something interesting to think about in terms of sexuality uh, in Japan and I guess how we consume uh, Japanese products and modern... Uh, Japanese culture. I guess along the lines of this thought, I realize that whenever we think about Japan, we actually 
Um, when we think of that term, like that term, Japan, it's like, oh, okay. It's loaded with a sort of symbolic imagery and um, feeling and I guess a sort of encounter. But I think what's also interesting is that when we say that, oh, Japan, it's like, we're not referring to an actual group or necessarily an actual set of people. We refer to what we think of Japan. And the reason, I guess, my point doesn't necessarily make any sense. The reason why I'm thinking about that is because I recently rewatched Death by Hanging. Um, that's a crazy avant-garde political film by Nagisa Oshima from the 70s. And there's a part in the movie where the guy says, um, it's about the death penalty in Koreans. And the, the, or, but the guy who's being sentenced to death, he says, yo, I don't want to be killed or executed for the sake of an abstract entity. And I, that's what I'm trying to say is like, when we think of Japan, we think about it in terms of abstract imagery. Um, we think about it in terms of a capital J. We don't actually necessarily think of the actual Japanese people. Um, we sort of just think of our ideas of them. And that's just sort of another thought that's out there. But I think it matters insofar as how we talk about it. Because I sort of caught myself earlier. I was talking to my professor about um, blackness in anime. And I was like, oh, Japan. And I was like, wait, no. Let's keep it more appropriate. Oh, producers at Bandai. It's like, to me, it's like when I say, oh, Japan. It's like, wait, what am I invoking? But rather this set of ideas that belong to an entire group of people. I think that if I wanted to be more direct and honest with my criticism, then I'd say, oh, the producers at Bandai who do this and such and such. And I don't know. I mean, I guess that could work on the level of respectability, politics, or whatever, but I also just think that it's just more honest in terms of how things that happen and I guess assigning blame because it's just like you assign blame to Japan it's just like like when we use it in that term it just it's just a word that doesn't mean anything yet it has all these meanings it's an empty signifier anyways moving on to the anime I want to talk about today my first impressions on Akagi which by the way are pretty good but um before I wanna talk about Akagi because all of these in my mind just sort of meld together I'm also watching No Game No Life and um I mean if y'all know what's what that what that's about, y'all probably be like, "What you doing, Jefferson? What you doing? This is an otaku game anime with lowly cons and 
and all that jazz. Incest, lowly cons, goddamn. And I think before I want to talk more about Akagi, I'm also checking out the show that's coming out. No game, no life. And naturally, anyone who knows what that show is about will probably just be like, God damn it, Jefferson, what are you doing? What are you doing? You have too much spare time. And I do because it's summertime. But, uh, yeah. I just wanted to mention that since we're already on the topic of a game anime, that's Akagi. And Akagi is, if you don't know about it, a Mahjong anime. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I've seen a specific other Mahjong anime. I know I've seen, like, some movies about, like, Mahjong. I think it was a Korean movie years ago, but, um, I guess Mahjong's pretty popular <laughs> as a genre of game or subgenre of game, anime, and manga. And Akagi is a fairly long-running manga. It came out in 1992, so it's as old as I am. It's 21. But this anime was aired in the fall season of 2005. And it's directed by the same man who directed Kaiji, uh, Yuzo Sato. And basically made by the entire same production staff. Not entirely the same. I'm sure some names are different. Some Korean names got changed because uh, they weren't working on there because they're poor in-between animators or whatnot. But, uh, I mean, just as it's the same sort of animation production staff, it's also the same creator, Nobuyuki Fukumoto, which is not surprising if you look at both of these shows because the character designs are basically the same. And I do think that if you like one, you actually would generally like the other. That is, I, I really love Kaiji. And I really like Akagi. Because the same production staff, same original creator, it's a different story. And I think that the differences are actually pretty important. Because, uh, I mean, like, I sort of want to say that with a little bit of a caveat, because I know some people would probably be frustrated by Akagi if they came off from Kaiji, because Akagi is Mahjong-centered. A lot of the dialogue and a lot of the conflict, like the specific dialogue that gets talked about is like Mahjong strategy. But to me, like, I can still enjoy it because I can still get the same feel. Even though I literally have no idea what's going on, I just know that someone's making a bluff, and because, like, of the way that it's edited, and everyone's looking at the pieces, like, oh, I guess that's, like, a crazy move to make, I can still feel what the show wants me to feel about these moves, even if I'm completely mystified by the moves being taken. So... Yeah! In spite of its differences, I still think that someone who liked Kaiji would still like Akaki. Um, but I think I swear I want to probably give that Mahjong Center a little bit more weight because 
I watched like four episodes now. I'm gonna watch more because this is cool. I'm just like I love gambling anime. <laughs> but uh, like because it's so mahjong centered, it was like I am completely mystified. So I know someone's gonna get trapped up on that. And uh, yeah, I think what's sort of interesting about these game shows and Akagi is just like the actual thrill. Like, what's thrilling about a bunch of dudes sitting around at night in a crowded, stuffy room, like wagering their lives? And I suppose, like, with gambling, there's already that sort of natural tension. It's like I mean, not tension, natural suspense that builds that tension. And it's like, either you get the payoff and so-and-so wins, or I was like, oh, damn, I guess it sucks now, which is a lot of kaiji, which is why kaiji works out so well. And I, But I think that I sort of want to talk about the differences between kaiji and akagi a little bit more. because. Um, I think that the way that these differences operate could be, I don't know, interesting thoughts. Because Akagi came out before Kaiji. It was um, as a manga. Um, Hukumoto made it in 92. Kaiji came out in 96. And when we meet Akagi, his main character, he is considerably younger. And even though he is younger, he's 13, he's like, far more ferocious than Kaiji. And when we meet Kaiji, he's already, like, in his 20s. And Akagi, as a figure and character, is powerful. Like, he's a genius. Hence, why the Japanese title is Tohei Densetsu, uh, Densetsu Akagi Yamini Mayorita Tensei, or the genius who descended into darkness. It's a Mahjong legend. He's this sort of powerful mythic figure. Akagi, I mean, the Kaiji is the opposite. Kaiji is a loser. <laughs> and this sort of different starting point, I think, is interesting because Akagi also takes place in post-war Japan, whereas Kaiji takes place in, like, the 90s or 2000s. I don't exactly remember. And these differences, to me, mean a lot. Because... If you're wanting to tell a post-world story, you generally don't want to tell the stories about post-war Japan and Reconstruction. While some of them do center around loss, like Sun's Burial, others want to depict this sort of triumph through struggle. And that, to me, is interesting I mean, like, I know that there are things that are cynical, like the ones I mentioned, but it's like, oh, okay. I mean, even um, Hajime no Ippo has its own post-war story where, like, Japan will eventually rise up and overcome the struggles of being reduced. And I guess in a way that you can read that as Japanese pride coming back and manifesting itself and taking the promise of Japanese empire via other means. And now you have the third largest economy in the world. So, I mean, in a sense, yeah, there is truth 
to the story, but I think that, oh, okay, there's also something kind of sinister, which is sort of where Pat Labor 2 comes in. It's like, yeah, it might not exactly be like a military power doing terrible things, but it is an economic power that also benefits from wars, at least fought near it in Asia, specifically Korea and Vietnam, but I mean, that's 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 its own conversation that I think well no it's relevant to this conversation at hand but um yeah I mean that's just like my first thought in terms of where these post-war stories position themselves ideologically but I suppose like even within that working within like the story of triumph and conquering over this seedy underground world of mahjong gambling is there something similar not similar sinister to the story of uh akagi because he wants to like throw his life on the line because like some of the other characters in kaiji is like oh life's boring i don't want to just go through the daily grind, I want everything or I want nothing. <laughs> Which, um, I think is an interesting plot element, a kind of true plot element, and a sentiment that can be had around the sort of everyday life, and the sort of daily grind, and like why we seek out entertainment in order to live out vicariously our fantasies of becoming this sort of master gamblers who can lose everything and live life on the line, man. But, uh, yeah, it's just a, another thought. I don't think that these shows ever come out saying entertainment bad, but I do think that Embedded is this sort of quasi-critique of everyday life and I don't know um I mean like we it's not necessarily new but just an interesting thing to think about especially in terms of how we relate to consuming the product before us Akagi set 10 years or 12 years after the loss and you already had like the booming reconstruction and Kaiji is set after the sort of bubble burst, and you have the Japan's lost decade. And so correspondingly, you have a story of coming triumph. Um, in Kaiji, you have loss and some wealth and loss. So it's, it's sort of interesting to think about that in terms of the time and the periods that they're set in. So, I mean, that's just an interesting thought. To me, at least. I think what's also a place where we can think about is how these shows negotiate masculinity. Because Akagi starts off with a young guy in his teens, and he's already this sort of legend. He's already this sort of daring figure. And Kaiji starts off as a sort of loser. <laughs> Because Akagi plays to win, and he bluffs to win, and he utilizes everything around him to win. And Kaiji does the same thing, but he doesn't do it to win. He does it to survive, 
and get revenge on motherfuckers. And so with Akagi, we see this depiction of coming in to masculinity and we associate masculinity with triumph. And I don't necessarily think that that necessarily means that we think of Kaiji and as necessarily unmasculine or demasculinized. I suppose you can say that he is, but I do think that we see, I guess, masculinity in crisis within Kaiji, which um, I'm not really too sure because it's been a while since I've seen Kaiji, but I mean, and I suppose like even these shows to a certain extent would even critique that idea because it's like mostly centered around this, oh man, this, this intense drama, who's going to live and who's going to die, uh, that, uh, yeah. Anyways, I suppose I should probably move beyond first impressions later and come back. I mean, you never know if I actually will, because I, I give a lot of first impressions <laughs> and then just forget to talk about the shows later. But, uh, I think y'all should check out Akaki, especially if you like Kaiji, because these are two shows that are in dialogue with each other, and where one requires specialty in terms of specialized knowledge about Mahjong. Uh, Kaiji is more accessible, but I mean, you know, they're both pretty fun shows. Anyways, thanks for coming back and listening. Uh, I guess I'll not, I won't see any of you. I hope y'all give a listen to the next episode. Have a beautiful time, y'all. Yes, Kata